Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. This is Alex Ruth, your Associate Director of Disciples Men with you. And with us, as always, is our Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander. Greg, good afternoon. How are you today? Hey, Alex, I'm doing fine. Thanks. So good to be with you as always and looking forward to our conversation today. I am as well. And uh, Happy New Year. We are entering happy into 2021. So uh, I, I think there are probably some exciting things in store for us this year. Um, one of those, hopefully, we'll see an end to uh, uh, all the restrictions that we have seen for uh uh, COVID-19 and uh, the pandemic will hopefully be easing as this year goes on. Um, but that's, I, I, I guess that's still in our hopes and dreams. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's getting quite tiresome, uh, yes. you know, in so many ways. And as I've shared in previous podcasts, you know, Nora and I have been very fortunate. It doesn't impact us financially and to the degree it impacts so many younger families and, uh, you know, through education and stuff. And um, uh, our biggest issue has been, you know, not getting to see grandkids or spend any time with them. All the holidays plans were changed. Um, and again, um, heartache and inconvenience around all that. But, you know, as far as our day-to-day -day life, it hasn't impacted it a whole lot. Right. We don't eat out. But actually, that's been all right. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's not true for millions of, uh, you know, millions of people around the world. And uh, and so, again, I always want to be really forthright as we begin these conversations is, you know, I, I don't feel the same level and intensity of pain as so many people do. And I know you have members in your congregation who, uh, you know, who you see on a firsthand basis. Right. Um, the struggles. Um, my family's all my family's been pretty fortunate, and um, uh, everybody seems to be doing okay. Uh, we have had some COVID strike uh, uh, family, uh, distant family, and uh, not immediate family. I've lost an uncle, and had uh, my brother had COVID. Uh, extended family members had COVID, um, and uh, my uncle did not die from COVID, but it certainly facilitated his other issues. He was elderly, and uh, and so yeah, I mean we've watched that. Uh, I think the biggest heartache for me is one of my most beloved members in a nursing home. Uh, uh, I could not visit her, and she died, and I was not able to care for her. Right, and. Um, and that was um, anyone who does ministry, you know that when those moments come, um, you know those are some of the most sacred moments of ministry. And uh, yeah. that was uh, that was especially difficult for me, not being able to uh, bring forth, the, you know, the care and compassion that we had for that individual. That has definitely put a, a, a damper on our ability to be present in the way that we always have and we're, we're you know, uh, comfortable and, and used to uh, providing that care and support uh, in, in a very 
physical and tangible way. And when you can't do that anymore, it's certainly thrown um, many pastors that I know off of our game a little bit. Um, it, this is uncharted territory. Um, I, we've been fairly fortunate. Our family has been moderately untouched. Uh, of course, I have a fairly small nuclear family, um, and we've just been very good about we're really only around one another. And when we have to be out working, we're very cautious. Um, we have to be out in the community. Um, but there have been uh, friends and colleagues who have either suffered greatly under um, you know, COVID or have died from it. Uh, lost a good friend um, th late this last year, um, pastor in a nearby church. Um, uh, Kelly had some comorbidities um, but it was COVID that was the last straw. Um, and that's, it's been hard to deal with that um, and, and trying to find ways to celebrate, uh, celebrate life, grieve, and all those things have been uh, deeply impacted. Um, and it's always, I think we've been doing this most of our podcasts, but just a reminder to all of our, all of our listeners, um, your pastors need an extra measure of grace mm. and support. Uh, as you said, this is uncharted waters yep. for all of us. And um, I was watching, um, I, I haven't spent too much time watching the video sermons and services. I've been, you know, kind of pre, been preoccupied getting my own figured out. <laughs> but I happen to see a good friend of mine, Dan Paul, is the pastor uh, at the Pacific Grove Christian Church in uh, in California, and he's the his congregation is the is the host of the um, um, uh, what's the uh, blue oh blue theology ministry. blue theology yeah ministry which is a phenomenal ministry uh, on stewardship of creation focusing on the ocean and uh, Dan's just a phenomenal guy. Uh, great pastor, great friend. And um, he he sends me a link every week, uh, just goes out in his generic emails. And, and I had a few moments to take a look at it. And it was beautifully rendered. The opening part of it was just beautifully done. And uh, the message was great. And the struggle was, I know what kind of a person he is a loving attending pastor and there's dan all by himself right behind his pulpit uh bringing a message to an empty room and uh and you know and, and again i do that every sunday for the most part um I, we have a few people who are there but not many and uh and i'm just thinking what a <laughs> what a cruel thing this is in so many ways for you know for people of faith and because we are in the relationship business and yes um just you know it just struck me seeing someone else struggle uh with that and again all the pieces were beautifully done I, I mean, it's not a the, the production of that was just superb and uh but you know the heartache and the struggle of trying to bring that sense of intimacy of the gospel to a vacant room. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's cer certainly been different. Uh, you said something, I think, uh, pretty important there. Um, and, and we talk about it, but sometimes I think we assume it. 
more than we, we really delve in and discuss it. And that is the importance of relationship um, in ministry and specifically, you know, for our intents and purposes today, talking about the relationship in ministry to and with men. Um, that that is um, really what we're doing is we're we're about the work of building relationships between men and God, men and other men, and men and themselves. Right. Yes, those then impact men in all of their other relationships, but that's kind of the the focus of at least our initial work in the Jesus way is to, to focus on who am I, who am I in relationship with God and with other men? And then how does that spill out into my life and who I am in the world around me? That's exactly right. That's been uh, our primary focus uh, through the Jesus way ministry. And uh, it's been, you know, I'm, I'm sure for you, but it's really been the focus of my ministry for as long as I can remember yeah. is that, uh, you know, is how do we, how do we become the person God created us to be, you know, to God's glory and for the sake of the world God so loves. And uh, that's the, uh, you know, that's for me, that's the whole essence of, of my call to ministry and doing that. And we're both privileged to do this uh, with a focus on men. And, right. Uh, uh, and it's important, I think, for us to acknowledge the time that we're recording this as we move ahead in this conversation. Yeah. Um, it's the 12th of January. Uh, six days ago, we witnessed the um, storming, the insurrection uh, of, of our nation's capital. And while it wasn't exclusively white men, the vast majority of people in that crowd was were white men. And, um, and I think as, um, you know, the called leaders of disciples, men, we have an obligation to speak to that, which yes. is why uh, we're taking some time today to make sure we get this podcast in. And um, I don't think we can be silent in what we witnessed because of our, our ministry. Uh, I, I'm very, uh, yeah. I'm right with you on that one. Uh, finding ways to talk about um, the events of, of last Wednesday, uh, the 6th, has been uh, consuming many of us. Um, I know you and I uh, discussed briefly uh, the importance of this uh, when we uh, were talking late last week that this was this was something that was important to us to to address because um, it falls right in line with some of the um, issues and is born out of I think some of the issues that that we have addressed before um, but we owe it to um, the church at large to um, try to navigate a discussion around um, those events, which were quite frankly unprecedented. Um, you know, we have not seen anything of that level, certainly since the late 1800s. So well before either of us were around, you know, the late 1800s, you could even trace that back into the early 1800s, um, depending on how you want to define things. Um, so this is, these are 
unprecedented events following an unprecedented year. Um, but it is something that we simply just have to talk about. Um, and it is based around those relationships. You know, some of the reason is there are going to be folks in our churches. I know there are folks in my church on both sides of the political aisle um, and some extreme on either side. Um, and so there's, it, it, it's important to have these conversations, have them well. That's, that's correct. And it, it is important we have them. And I want to begin by making what may sound like a strange statement, but it is <laughs> what I believe is the case. And that is what we witnessed uh, last Wednesday was, uh, was not a partisan activity. It was political because everything's political. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a show of partisanship. This was all about identity. What, what we were witnessing among the men, and I, I'll just speak for the men, I can't speak for the women in the group, but uh, what, what we were witnessing were men who are struggling with their identity as, um, as men in America today. Um, what, uh, again, we've both spent a lot of time studying this. I've spent 30 years studying this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and it is, it just keeps bearing itself out that we're, we've been on the right track, especially with the Jesus way with this. But what, what I think people need to pause and understand is, and I don't like the language we've been doing some, you know, we've been reading some articles and, you know, we've had other study resources around this. And, you know, I, I, I do find, take offense with some of the folks who are pointing fingers at, um, uh, you know, that it is the elitists, or, uh, you know, in our, of our culture over the last um, several decades who, um, you know, created uh, the kind of the context for which we saw, uh, you know, the insurrection on Wednesday. I don't consider myself an elitist. I don't think in any way, shape, or form. I don't think there's anything about me that fits that criteria, except for you know, uh, maybe education. But if you know me, you know that I'm not all that smart. Uh, and that, uh, but that, but the point is, is that we saw, we have seen a divide in our country that probably started in the 1960s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, over my lifetime, I've you know, I've lived it, where. Um, we began to see the traditional role of men, you know, that was part of my parents' generation. We've talked about this before, their earlier podcasts that rehearse all this. But we, you know, we saw that there were men, uh, uh, you know, we, men were being called to embrace a different kind of model, a different kind of role within the, in, in the larger context of, of American life, Western culture. And that was, uh, you know, we moved from head of household to shared responsibility within the household. We moved from all the exclusive, from it being exclusively men at church board meetings and corporate boardrooms and places like that to where women were sharing uh, in those uh, in those meetings and, and responsibilities. And it came at such a quick pace mm-hmm. that um, we didn't have what, where, where the failure was in my mind is that we didn't have leadership who hit the pause button to say, we need to stop and figure out what this means for us mm-hmm. as men and women uh, you know, in Western culture, because we don't know what the rules of engagement are. 
when women are in the room. Because we've only known how to deal with women as spouse, mm -hmm. as mother, as daughter, grandmother, a sister. Those were the traditional roles in which we understood how we related to women. And in every one of those cases, it, there was an assumption that we were the more significant person in that, in that cluster of relationships. Right. right. And in the 60s and 70s, as all that began to shift, uh, we began to we began to see, uh, you know, this rapid change, which you and I certainly embrace, uh, of the role of women in in, in life and uh, in leadership in all capacities. And that was in the 1960s, and here we are, uh, what 60 years later. And you know, the last presidential election cycle, we had our first woman candidate, presidential candidate almost 60 years to get there, right. <laughs> 50 years. And now we have our first, you know, a woman who is a vice president, uh, will be vice president of the United States. This, these, this, these things have turned very slowly. These wheels of change in one sense have turned very slowly. We have seen the movement of, of, of women and people of color, uh, you know, assuming roles and positions that were traditionally reserved for white men. What didn't take place is men didn't renegotiate role and how we how we occupy this new reality. And so for some, uh, I'll put myself in this category. You said, this is a good thing, I'll figure it out. Right. And you made the compromises you need to make. You enjoyed the, you know, the beauty of the change and diversity that was taking place around you. And you went on with life and really didn't give it a lot of thought other than that it was a really good thing, you know? Praise God for what we're seeing. There were a lot of other people for whom that was not the case. There were an awful lot of other men who kind of feel, felt like they got kicked to the curb. Right. And uh, and nobody really cared about them anymore. And whatever, whatever loss that they incurred as a result of these um, shared responsibilities uh, became bitterness, unresolved anger. Right. And... Uh, and that stuff just got pressed down. And and where the elitist comment comes in is that the powers that be, wherever the powers that be are, that we're making the decisions to move us this direction, um, we're not sensitive to the struggles and the pain that so many men are going through. And so I said it's an identity crisis because you know, and I would even put myself in this category is I'm still not sure how I define myself as a man in today. Right. I, I fully welcome and embrace who I am and the shared relationships I have. And, you know, the, the diverse leadership I see around me, you and I both have, uh, you know, a woman who is our boss now in DHS, yes. an African-American woman. Yeah. who is our boss at, at DHM, and we love that. I mean, it's been yes. a wonderful experience for us to have this. And uh, we have uh, an African-American woman who's our general minister and president and doing a phenomenal job. I mean, she's one of the most extraordinary people I know. Yes. And uh, thanks be to God for that. That that experience is not shared by all. Right. And again, it's not a matter of opinion. And I'm not saying that, you know, some pe people are just being dumb or obstinate or or can't share that opinion it's much more fundamental than that and that is is that there is i can't there are men who can't figure out 
who they are and feel like they've paid a huge price for uh, these changes that have taken place around them and nobody has cared right. about the price that they paid. And so again, there's that bitterness, unresolved anger that's just festered and festered and festered. We first saw it coming out through, uh, you know, people uh, bashing political correctness, you know, when we were adopting new forms of language and terms to address a more inclusive world that we're in. We saw the pushback on that. I think that was the first telltale sign uh, of the unrest. Yes. And, and then, of course, you know, uh, President Trump was elected and part, in part he was elected because he beat that drum and, and, and lifted the lid off of that of that bitterness and unresolved anger. And, um, um, and that's, uh, you know, sadly uh, and disturbingly, it was on full display last Wednesday when, yeah. you know, the people stormed the Capitol. You, you've said something interesting there that I, I think is, is worth discussing maybe a little bit further. And that is this role of identity. Uh, from my experience, uh, at least as I was growing up uh, in the 70s and 80s, um, I was noticing that many men still, you know, 20 years into this, this societal change, were still defining their identity and self-worth through external means, mm -hmm. be that a job, job title, um, be that athletic achievement, be that um, monetary, be that um, who your spouse was, whatever that looked like, um, still using an external gauge of not only identity, but I think it goes deeper and goes to that issue of self-worth. Um, and we have not done maybe a great job as a society of pivoting from an external self-worth to an internal sense of self and identity and who I am. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'm just like everybody else. I do that better some days than others. Uh, you know, it, it is a journey that I'm still on um, sometimes I define myself by external, by my job, by what my kids are doing, by who my wife is, by any achievement that I might have in my life. But on my, I'm going to use the word better days, um, I understand that my identity, my self-worth comes from my relationship with God, not from any of those external measures. So it's an internal measure of who I am and and uh, and, and what my call is uh, to be a Christian, uh, not just a pastor, but to be a Christian. Uh, so it, that is related to, but independent from all those external measures. You're right, and uh, and I would say, um, and I'm putting, I'm pointing three of the fingers back at me when I point this finger <laughs> is, is I would say that that's been one of the church's major failings in my 40 plus years of ministry is 
we have neglected and now at great peril uh the internal spiritual dynamics you know the the relational dynamics that bind us to god and one another yeah. and have and have not challenged to any great degree i mean I, we all preach you know on against you know, we against the greed and that kind of stuff but the truth is is we've never really challenged or all or provided an alternative way of seeing the world right that wasn't based upon those external value systems yep. and you know we've tried our level best through the jesus way material and again this isn't a, a a commercial for the jesus way but this is where you and i've been living our lives for the last right. years is uh we created the jesus way because it is the internal journey right it is a pathway for men to begin to do the hard and necessary work of that internal uh, coming coming to terms with who we are in our relationship with God, and that's internal work. Right. And um, if if our relationship with God is solid, you know, if we are drawing upon that sort of what I call that inner essence of God within us, you know, that's where the light of Christ comes from within us. If we're drawing upon that and understand that we are, our true value comes in that relationship and not by the beamer parked in my driveway. Right then when that beamer is gone, I have nothing to be really angry or bitter about because it doesn't impact my sense of self or my identity one way or the other. It might be mad because someone stole it. <laughs> That's legit, of course. But but if I have to trade in my beamer for a Ford, that makes me of no less value. Right. I mean, it's irrelevant. It just means that, you know, maybe that money, that the price difference between the two, I can now use for making somebody else's life a little bit better. And those becomes those internal value systems, you know, that uh, that we begin to call upon in our as we as we develop our right relationship with God, that spiritual, you know, uh, dynamic within, and uh, and move away from those external measures, and uh, because they can be taken away, and if they're taken away, which is what we've seen now, what you know, again, what we're talking about, what we saw witnessed last Wednesday. Is for many of those guys, we saw the anger of them losing the external value system right. that they had used and culture has given us yes. to define our life. Yes. And again, I want to be real clear. I'm not justifying any of that. I, mean, I was horrified and furious over what I was seeing. There's yes. no justification for any of that behavior. But I do understand the trigger. You know, you can't, there's not, that doesn't resolve you of your responsibility to do something good, uh, you know, with how you resolve that anger. Right. Uh, and that bitterness. Uh, but I do understand, as someone who studied men for a long, long time, I do understand where, where that comes from. And where has the church been? I mean, you know, we, we still struggle. We're, we're barely a blip. On the church map, when it comes to to the ministry we do, you know, we are the last thought of ministry when it comes to you know when we talk about ministry with men. And yet, this is the group that needs the time and attention, not the most, but just as significantly as anybody else, because of the impact we have when it's wrong. Right. I mean, just look, look at the world we're in. 
And again, this isn't a political statement. This isn't a partisan statement. This is just a statement of human condition. We have failed men. Yes. The yeah. church has failed men because we have left them out, hung out to dry without helping redefine role, identity, any of these pieces in this world that you and I embrace fully. I love the fact that there's this kind of diversity in our world. It makes yes. us better. Yes. It's so much better when we embrace it. But you have to you have to learn who you are in this new context. Yes. And if you haven't done the work or if someone hasn't helped you do the work of figuring that out, then you're going you are going to sit on the curbside feeling like someone put you there without your <laughs> permission and just get angrier and angrier over the fact that that's where you are. And, right. and that's where the church has failed miserably men and the and and the and society as a whole. We for for so long um at least when I was growing up, the, you know, the, the running joke was you don't talk about politics or religion at family gatherings, right? Yeah. But what we've lost, it, we lost some conflict by not doing that, yes. But what we also lost was the ability to, um, to have those deep and important conversations in a safe environment where there were some boundaries set and, and we could discuss and, and navigate and figure out, okay, how do I fit? What do I really think? How do I really feel? How does that impact on others? By not having those conversations, and I didn't have many growing up either, um, you know, I, we were left in the dark, left to fend for ourselves. Um, and it wasn't until I I landed um, quite by accident in some ways. It could be providence, uh, depending on your theological persuasion. Um, but when I ended up in a group of guys who could help guide me was when I really began to grow and develop. Uh, when I really began to understand who I was in relationship, who I am in relationship to the God who is. Uh, to Jesus, to Holy Spirit, and how that all works in the world, and it, how I see that working in the world. Um, it, it was in that group, in that context of, of nurture and care uh, of other men that I found who I am. Um, and we had those hard conversations. You know, uh, we didn't all agree. Uh, we still to this day don't all agree, but those guys who are still around and still alive, uh, I know I could call on in any moment. And what you experienced was a was a group of guys who were willing to do the hard work and together figure it out. Right. They they walked away from the traditional rules of engagement that took place in an all male setting and began to say there's got to be a different way because the world is different. Yeah. So how do we begin to welcome you know the women into the conversation? How do we engage them when we differ? Right. How do I how do I show in a way that's not that's not uh, understood to be a sexual advance that I agree with or want to celebrate what they bring into the room? Right. 
uh, you know, and how do we how do we begin to to acknowledge, uh, you know, that we can be co-workers, friends, uh, you know, uh, and do all the things that are required we used to do when it was an all-male group. Now, without somebody thinking that there must be some sexual overtone or undertone to to what it is that we're doing. And again, you can't ignore that. That is there. And that's the how we learning to mature enough to be able to deal with those kinds of, again, I call them rules of engagement. That's what they are, how we engage one with another. Right. Rules changed, but yep. no new rules were put in place that we all helped develop. Yeah. And there was, it was assumed and, and, uh, and the script was sort of rewritten and handed to us. And again, I'm not complaining. I just understand. I just know what happens when there are people who are left out of the conversation. Right. To get a world like we have today. And so um, that's uh, that's one of the beautiful things that I think a great gift for you is to have those men who are willing right. to do the, you know, the heavy lifting of trying to figure out who we are and support one another in that journey. Um, that's a great gift. I, I wish we I wish we had all kinds of stories like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, those stories are too and far, few and far between. Um, you know, I do hear them. But they they're not dominant in our in our world today, and that's one of the things that I, I believe we can be. And these were all church guys, you know. This is something that the church can do. We we know how to do this, um, and we're probably better if we if we allow ourselves to be. We're better at this maybe than even our quote unquote secular. Uh, secular, uh, uh, you know, uh, organizations in finding areas of collaboration. Um, one of the other things is we had a distinct change in this mode of what leadership looks like. And it happened in that same time frame uh, where it was really becoming much more collaborative, um, less hierarchical. Um, and, and more focused on working together for the good of the organization or the church or the business or the country. Um, and in some ways, we're still stuck with language and thoughts and um, pressures that press hierarchy, that press dominance, that that impress these things that we've we've moved past and we found that there are other ways that that honor the the gifts and talents of all people not just a select few one of the problems that we face around that is the is the is that we are still in almost every turn fun functioning from the wrong uh from the wrong measure of success and I yeah. want to, I want to, you know, and I want to use the church, yeah. you know, as disciples every year, this time we are filling out yearbook statistics and we don't ask how many lives were changed. You know, yeah. we don't ask you to tell a ministry story. We want to know, you know, how many you baptized, how many new members you have, how many people you show up for worship uh, and how much money you give to the broader ministry of the church. Yeah. There's not one bit of that that fosters relationship. Nope. 
Nope. Those are and and so what happens is that we do ministry, especially if you're a younger pastor wanting to climb whatever the corporate ladder in the church is today, <laughs> is that you know that to get noticed is that you're going to have to make sure that those numbers in your church increase. Yes. Because now those become the measure of your ministry worth to people outside of your immediate context. And as long as those are the standards by which even the church itself measures its ministry, then we aren't any better than the rest of the world when it comes right. to that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and let's, let's be honest, you know, uh, the first question most men ask is, what do you do yes. when they meet each other? Yes. What do you do? Where do you live? And, uh, you know, and we start bragging about, you know, our genius kids or our athletic kids or, you know, or, uh, you know, I'm the CEO of whatever. And, you know, and we get into this game where we have to we have to give our pedigree of how important we are in that conversation. And every one of those elements, as a rule, are external baggage. Well, they're, and, they're external and they're quantitative. They, yes, absolutely. Quantitative is important. Uh, and so, you know, we don't talk about the internal stuff. And right. uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, it's just, um, I don't know. You and I were in a previous conversation today and uh, with some yeah. folks and, and you know, we were, we were talking about um, those standard of measures yeah. and uh, how, how we suffer greatly because we still buy into the fact that my worth is tied, you know, to, to, the things that are visible beyond me, the things I have, the things I've achieved, et cetera, rather than who I am and whose I am. Well, and, and you know, the practical part of that is it, it, it is a difference between qualitative and quantitative. And qualitative is super hard to quantify by its very nature, right? You know, so the the quality of of a church has improved over the year. How do we talk about that? We're so based in this uh, technological and industrial uh, machine that is our uh, society and our economy that we don't have the language to talk about the qualitative or an often derogatory phrase, the touchy-feely parts of life that really do what they're supposed to do and they increase our qualities of life. And that's what we really want. But we so often try to measure, is my quality of life increased by, is the quantity in my life increased? And that's all wrapped around identity, which is yes. where we started. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's our identity. And isn't it interesting? Jesus said, "Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing." Yes, that's also an identity statement. It is, and that is about where I gather, where I draw my my sense of worth. Doesn't have to be in broadcasting my achievements to the world. Go Jesus into the saying, actually. You want to do the opposite. Yeah, uh, hold them, hold them, hold them close. Let them feed you in another way, so you'll be ready to go do it again. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, go into the closet when you pray, you know, mm -hmm. uh, don't be the one who's, uh, or the one who gave all that they had and didn't make a show of it was so much more, uh, the gift was more important, uh, yeah. more, more, um, soul meaningful. Um, 
and really, I, when we start talking about, you know, identity, we start talking about who we are. Um, we also start talking about who we are not. Um, and, uh, you know, that wraps us back into the events of, of January 6th. Uh, and so many signs um, that I saw out there, uh, you know, Jesus 2020, saw Christian flags um, being employed. I saw other Christian symbols being employed. That's not who we are. Um, that is not, you know, beating a short, the, the sword into a plowshare. That was doing the exact opposite. Uh, you know, that wasn't put down the sword. That was grab it and make a run for it. Um, so we start talking about who we are. We got to talk about who we're not. And that, at least in my reading of the gospel, is not who we are called to be as Christians. And that comes to uh, some fundamental elements of how we under, understand ourselves um, in relationship to God in the church. You will remember uh, back in, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, when the Promise Keeper movement began. Right. And, um, you know, again, that was an attempt to give men who were struggling with this bitterness and unresolved anger on the shifting roles of men in the life of the, in, in, in our society. It was a way to give them a biblical foundation of how you interpret that uh, for today. Mm -hmm. And um, I was involved in a lot of those conversations uh, through you know, my men's ministry and um, really just had to pull away from so many of those folks who are deeply devout men. I mean, they were really beautiful men, prayed hard, you know, loved their, loved the church, loved God, but they were, but they structured their whole understanding of what it meant to be a man on those several places in the Bible where we get the list of hierarchy and, you know, and uh, you know, man's man, then woman, then children, you know, on down the line where we see the, that biblical hierarchy of power and importance. And essentially what they were saying is, is you can't argue with the Bible. You know, you got to take that as, as gospel truth, so to speak. But what we can be is kinder, gentler tyrants. Right. And, you know, and we show up, they showed up in masses at, you know, at where? Football stadiums. What do you right. do in football? You beat the crap out of each other, you know, for 60 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, and to see who, who, who can, you know, get the ball across the line the most times in that period of time. And, uh, I love football. So again, I'm not, <laughs> I, I confess my sin, but, uh, uh, but that's, that's where they rallied. And again, right. why? Because that's where the men's machismo is most solidly felt is in those warrior places. Those are battlefields yep. and where, where men, you know, live out there, live out their warrior side of them legally. <laughs> and, uh, that was, uh, and that's that's where they chose to 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 give their message, and and again, there wasn't a fundamental change in how they understood their role in culture. They just got biblical foundation for being that person and asked to do a little bit nicer, and you know, and again, that's that didn't change a thing. And that, in my mind, again, I I could stand corrected on this, but in my mind, that's helped feed the crisis. That we're experiencing today because the church gave those men god's answer i'm putting my 
hands up in parenthesis. Uh, you know, they they gave God's answer to yes. those men, and uh, and you know, frankly, uh, you know, I find that uh, very difficult to. <laughs> Uh, difficult at best, distasteful is probably a little more accurate for me, at least. Um, it, it, and there's a, I, I've had this conversation with uh, some of my colleagues in ministry time and time and time and time again. Um, it, there's a, a difference between a propositional faith and a faith that seeks to be transformative. You know, propositional faith says, if you believe X, Y, and Z, then it's a, it's a, it's cut and dry. Um, and, and there's a place for that in our spiritual journeys. I went through a time of, of very propositional faith. Um, I'm not there anymore. You know, uh, my, my understanding, my theology is much more relational. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's almost all relational at this point. Um, uh, more process, less proposition. Uh, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm saying that there can be more. Um, yeah, and it's and it's really retributive. I mean, that's the you know, yes. retributive justice is what our whole social order is founded on. And uh, you know, and that 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 was the the uh, first testament social order. Retribution was very much part of the law of Moses. And, uh, you know, but Jesus came and said, you know, I'm, I'm here to do a different way, you know. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the, it's really the foundation is love and yeah. compassion, not, you know, not retribution and uh, not eye for an eye. But, uh, and, you know, and let's be honest, there are a lot of people listening for whom this is foreign language. Yeah. And, um you know, there are many people who have built their faith foundations upon that understanding of, you know, the the uh, uh, literalism of the Bible. And again, I'm I'm not here to diminish anyone's faith. That's that's not the point. No. I've known way too many people who have been far better Christians than I'll ever be for whom that was the way they looked at the world. Amen. But it also is a dead end street in some ways when it comes to how we manifest faith in the world today, because that world's not coming back. Right. Nor should it. I mean, it, 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 it it's, you know, it's past time. Yep. And uh, we need to embrace, you know, the, the richness and the diversity and the beauty of the world as it is becoming and uh, overcoming the competition we see one with another and embracing, you know, shared journey, coexistence, you know, partners in life and, and how we strive to create the environment where we can draw upon and draw out the best of one another in order to to be to, to create and hand off the world to our offspring that they will want to be in, yeah, and uh, and want to enjoy. And again, I think that's a place where we probably failed or are failing miserably. Uh, is and you know we have not been good stewards, good caretakers of planet Earth. And uh, you know we're paying a heavy price for that now. And again, you and I will be gone before the you know before the real price is paid. Yeah. And uh, but our children and grandchildren—that's a different story. And I—I uh, I just dread the thought of them asking, "Why didn't Papa do more?" Right. And, well, and 
as much as you and I will be gone when, when most of that hits, um, I just recently was watching one of my favorite shows on television and they were at a glacier. Um, and you know, the time was when the, the people involved in the show were kids 30, 40 years ago, that glacier was, you know, right on this, this lake in Alaska, there were icebergs in the lake and they had pictures of it. Now, 40 years later, you can't even see the glacier. It's receded so far back. Yeah. 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 We're seeing, you know, the effects of that now. Um, And it's only, unless we make some dramatic changes in the way things are, it's only going to get worse in the next 40 years. That's a, it's a scary thought to me. It is. And, and it, and it accelerates. It doesn't just keep going at the same pace. It it begins to pick up momentum. And when things begin to unravel, they're going to unravel in big ways and, and more cascading ways that uh, that's really quite frightening. And, uh, uh, you know, again, in addition to men's work, I've been a part of the environmental work. That was my undergraduate degree was in that area. And so many, many years ago, I began that journey. And, and uh, you know, um, it, it's, not, it's not fool's gold. No. I mean, just look around, just step back and take an inventory of what was and what is. And, uh, you know, and to pretend that human, humankind's behavior has had nothing to do with these dramatic uh, impact on the earth is silly. I mean, just yeah. really flat silly. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're living like an ostrich with your head in the ground, pretending like what you can't see won't hurt you. Right. And, uh, but, and again, taking it back to communities of faith, to the church is we have a responsibility in helping people understand that how our non faith, uh, ways of living out life, even as people of faith, you know, that it's, it's a whole package. And when we don't embrace the wholeness of the gospel, that yeah. includes each other and the earth, etc., and for, and think that we can pick and choose the parts that we want to be faithful with and not, and ignore the others is a horrible, uh, tragic lie. And that, you know, that we're beginning to see the price paid and, and it is overwhelming. Yes. It's just absolutely overwhelming when you stop and think. And so some people choose to pretend it's not there because they can't handle the tidal wave of, of concern that these things bring upon us. And faith has something to say about that too. You know, uh, let tomorrow, you know, don't worry about tomorrow, let tomorrow take care of itself. Now that's not an active call for irresponsibility. No. That's for a call for the, you know, focus your best energies on what you can do today. Yes. And when tomorrow comes, then pick that ball up and run with it when that time comes. Oh, a rabbi whose name I am forgetting at this moment, uh, once talked about that, you know, the, don't be dismayed by the enormity of the world's grief. It is not our job to complete the restoration of the world. It is also not for us to forsake it. And it goes back to uh, Micah 6, 8. We are to do justice. We are to do mercy. We are to live humbly with God, 
now. Mm-hmm. Do what we can today, knowing that our faith tells us that in the end, in the end, that God will bring about a restoration. We play a role. And we are co-creators of that beloved community. But in the end, you know, that moral, the arc of moral justice in the world does does bend towards justice. Yeah. We are called to do what we have been gifted to do. Yeah. I'm not yeah. Jesus. I'm not here to save anyone. That's God. Yeah. That's that's Jesus's role. Right. And and uh, but my job is, is to make sure that Jesus gets hurt and yes. has an opportunity to do what Jesus uniquely does. And um, and so, again, I think sometimes we get crippled emotionally, uh, you know, with the, with the enormity of the task. And the truth is, no, your task is to be you, the you God wants you to be. Yes. That's it. Do that today and watch out and see what a difference it'll make tomorrow. Exactly. And tomorrow, embrace it again and see what a difference it makes tomorrow and a different yeah. kind of difference, a, a greater difference. And yeah. that's all we've ever been called to do. We are not the solving the saving agents, you know, of this journey. Yeah. But we are called to be um, people who help pave the way. Yes. You know, for the work that Jesus does to be done. And, uh, you know, he's not a barnstormer. He doesn't come and take us by force. He comes by invitation. It's our job to make sure that enough people are extending the invitation for him to come and do the work he is, was created to do on our behalf and, and on behalf of all creation. Yeah. Having, having just had a, a baptism, you know, of, of Christ Sunday uh, and thinking about that text, uh, I have understood, uh, become to under, uh, becoming to understand more and more these days that we are called to be John the Baptist uh, in that story. Yeah. Here is one who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, yeah. this is Actually, the one. I, I, I'm pointing at the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. That, that's not my my job is to point. Yeah. You, uh, you and I came to the same conclusion on that one. <laughs> I was, it's almost, I was right it's almost like we've been talking to one another for a couple of years. Yeah, now. yeah. Well, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't think you ever heard a word I ever said. So. <laughs> Uh, you know better than that. Um, uh, well, you know, this, we, we start. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, you know, we started this conversation talking about how COVID has impacted our life. And then we moved into talking about, you know, the identity crisis that we are witnessing among men, you know, through events like on January 6th. And who knows what lies ahead for January 20th as we, you know, approach the inauguration of Biden yeah. as our new president. But, uh, you know, I am, I, am, I am not unsympathetic to the men for whom they feel life has passed them by or dealt them a bad hand or kicked them to the curb, whatever metaphor you want to you wanna use. But I would also be quickly to add is that, but you don't have to stay there. Right. And, you know, the whole, our whole work through the Jesus way is one of not, you know, our, 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 one of our mantras is, is while we are products of our past, we don't have to be determined by it. Right. And so, you know, we have created resources that we do believe, we do believe can help men find the identity, the Christ centered identity that is ours to claim as people of faith. 
and that moves us away from the bitterness and the unresolved anger and helps us to claim our identity in God through Jesus Christ and find the joy and the peace that comes in that new identity that is ours. And that is our unique work that we are doing uh, through the Office of Disciple Men and through the General Conference of Disciple Men who are our partners in this journey. And, uh, and so, you know, please hear us. This is not judgment. I mean, we don't agree in any way, shape or form with what we've witnessed. But that's not the way, and there is a way, you know, that serves the needs of all and doesn't leave anybody anymore on the curb. Right. That, you know, that takes everyone's hand and says, come follow me and, uh, yeah. or come walk with me. And, uh, and that's the journey we are asking all of you to take with us. And uh, let's, you know, we have a great nation, you know, and we have just only begun to realize this potential of greatness, even after what, 220 plus years, 220, right. whatever. And, uh, and while we may have stubbed our toe in some of our minds, you know, over the last uh, however many years, the, the potential for what we can be is still there. Yes. And, and part of that potential is wrapped up in us becoming the, the people God created us to be the, the kind of men that God is calling us to be for the time we are in now. And we hope in some small way that we can help, we can help facilitate that journey. Yes. Yeah, very much. Greg, I appreciate your time today. Uh, this has been a, a great conversation. I look forward to our next time to talk and uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to sharing with, with folks more about the ministry uh, of disciples men as we work uh, as we work to create um, those communities where we can um, discover our identity discover our calling um, and follow God uh, together amen amen it's a great it's a great journey what a blessing to journey with you Alex thank and you for uh, for your work on getting us set up today Oh, great. It's been an honor to journey with you as well. Greg, look forward to talking to you again in the very near future. Okay, Alex, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Everybody, we'll talk to you soon here on another edition of the Disciples Men Podcast. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org.